Easter is about new beginnings. Doesn't matter how long you've been in faith, we're talking about why Jesus came and there's a new beginning. And it really, we need to experience new beginnings. But there, there's something about new beginnings that I've, I've discovered is that there's no new beginning until there's a closing of the past. And I'm going to go through three major points. I, I, learned, I learned this really well uh, when I wanted to marry Dr. Crystal. Uh, I had to close the past. Before I could experience a marriage and companionship with her, I had to stop dating other women. She actually, she, she demanded that. I had wrestled a little bit, but I was ready for that new beginning. Now, okay, that's a little silly, but just about in every area of our life, if you want something new to begin, something has got to be closed. If you want to move into a professional position, you know, you've got to stop dressing like you're the laborer. You've got to stop the language that you use. You know, you don't go up and slap somebody in the, on the back and go, hey, how the heck are you doing today? You know, you're in the office. Um, it's, something has to close. You're like, oh, you know, I, 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 my dream was forever in blue jeans. Well, not if you're going to go to court. You can't go to court in blue jeans. You can't even go on the golf course in blue jeans. You know, we think, well, that ain't right. Listen, you go to a nice golf course wearing blue jeans, and they will not let you on the course. You have to shut some doors. You've got to grow up. We need to realize that. And so before we can talk and really embrace what the Lord would have us this month, Today is about closing some doors, and yes, the Holy Spirit is going to come by and step on some of your toes. It's not me. I am up here. That is not me who's causing pain, you know, in the next 20 minutes to you. That is the Lord convicting us of some things that needs to take place if we want to move on. So if you'll just allow me to ask the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. Because we're going to be taking down and, and removing some things if you want a new beginning. And I think in some areas we all want new beginnings somewhere. So let me pray. So Holy Spirit, Lord, please meet us here today at another level. As I start to share the words, whether convict our hearts on an individual, individually so that we can move our life ahead to experience that new beginning. So, Lord, we are inviting you. We are inviting you because you're the one who's been called to come along and comfort us and to teach us all the things that Jesus said. So come, Holy Spirit. Show us the stuff. Amen. Amen. So we are going to have a minister time at the end. Um, some people will come forward. If you come forward, come all the way down so there's people will line up. You can be met by the Holy Spirit in your seat today. You can be ministered to by the Holy Spirit on your way home tonight, this week. But I am expecting the Holy Spirit to do that for us.
so that we can truly fulfill why Jesus came, and that was for a new beginning. So closing, there's three points in closing the past to open your future. To shutting that door and seeing what goes on. And the first one is, the first point is, life is too full. Like, I haven't got the time to do that. You know, you can get invited someplace, but you're just too full. You're too busy. Now, I have an example. Chris, uh, Dr. Crystal wanted a library. She reads a, she's a book a week. Okay, this is the library that I built. Does anyone see a problem with that library? It's full. It's too full. Now, what I didn't show you is on the right wall, it's my library. It has plenty of room. It's got four Bibles, a Strong's, a Dakes, some research material, and pretty much we're okay to put anything else on there. So what, what has to happen when your shelf is too full and you want to put something on it? What, do you, what must you do? Build a new shelf. <laughs> <No>. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> to build a new shelf, I got to build a new room. The rooms are full. No more rooms. You have to take something off the shelf. Let's just say God wants to give you something. He wants you to invest your time into something new. And you have to say, I ain't got time. Maybe next, maybe if I, you can't. You can't just pick up and do something. You just can't have someone else Come in. Well, you know, we, we're doing this tonight. Your life is too full and you want more. Hey, clear a shelf off. And we, we have Bibles that, I mean, literally are just pretty much op- just pages. You know, they're like 50-year-old Bibles, you know, we had, you know, in, in high school. And it's, it's like, I didn't realize Revelations was in the front. You know, because they fall out and people just stuff it back in there. And you say, why is that on our shelf? Because my wife can't throw a Bible away. She's going, do you read it? No, it's falling apart. Let's throw it away. It's the Bible. (laughs) Clear the shelf off. Something has to come off. Something has to go in the bin. Now, your full shelf can be full of a number of things. It can be a hobby. It can be friends. It can be work. Um, uh, I mean, people just take on stuff at work. Well, there's a word that all of it is responsibilities. They don't care if it's a hobby. You know, he says, well, I just feel responsible. I, I, I meet with these guys at the club and, you know, this club, and, and I just feel responsible. I became the treasurer of the club. Why? Why? Well, you know, you're the responsible guy. And it's like, oh, it's not going to happen unless someone takes responsibility, and I'm the responsible guy. You, you know what? It isn't your responsibility. Here's, here's the definition of what gets us in trouble. People who try to please, rescue, help, fix, save others. Wow. You often take on responsibilities that aren't 
yours. They're not yours. It, it, some of us, are called, it's called mercy motivated. Like, oh, they're hurting. They're hurting. Who said you could fix them? You may be the problem because you're always fixing them. That's called an enabler. Oh, no, I'm, I'm helping them. No, you're enabling them to stay right where they are. It's not your position. It's someone else's position. It may be their responsibility to fix them, but they can't ever get there because you take the responsibility from them. And so here's what happens. Your life is full, and you can't experience the next thing that God has for you. What if it says God comes in that small voice? Can you hear that voice when you're burdened with responsibilities? You know, responsibilities just talk and talk and talk, and they're so loud. Oh, I got to get this. I got to get over there. I've got to take care of this. And so you got this screaming in your ear or between your ears, and you're going to hear the small voice of God about your next adventure. Doesn't happen. God doesn't take that responsibility away. You know, you have to say no. I always like it when people like going, well, you know, I have this leadership team, but I'm going to do it because they're so busy. Let them say no. You stop taking on responsibility. Stop taking it away from them. If they're free, they can say yes or no. If they're not, they can say no. So it's just too full So. There is no, no beginning. Now, I want you to know, taking on responsibility, taking on responsibility is being an adult. The majority of people don't take on responsibility. But then there are those who all they do is take on responsibility. And we're not talking, we're, we're talking, you can go back to a child who's experienced his or her parents divorcing and they take on the responsibility thinking oh my parents got a divorce because I was a bad child and they take that burden on is, is, is that their burden is that their responsibility mommy and daddy got a divorce no but all their life they carry that and it comes from a responsibility that's not theirs they couldn't stop it but I wouldn't, I, I didn't clean my room and they told me to. And what responsibilities have we taken on that's not ours? You know, and, and it may be a, a, a something that 10 years ago you really helped somebody by taking this responsibility, but it fixed it or it's passed, but you still carry the responsibility. It's time to let it go. You know, I can fix, I can fix my 14-year-old's problem. I'll take the responsibility, but I'm not going to fix the 34-year-old's problem. It's their problem. I'm not going to mortgage my house because they screwed their life up by drugs or this or that. At one time, it was my responsibility, and at this time, it is not. Let it go. I should break out song, let it go, let it go. <laughs> Now, all of you won't hear another thing in this but let it go. It's over. It needs to be over. You find no joy in life. Because 
taking on responsibility that is not yours can keep you so burdened that you cannot discover what God is trying to lead you to. Lead you to do. It's yelling. It's in your head. I, I don't have a moment to myself. Well, you don't have a moment to yourself. I know you don't have a moment for God. I told you I was going to have the Holy Spirit stop on a few of you. And let me tell you, there's nothing more fulfilling than taking on a new responsibility, a new position. It can be fun in the discovery, but you just need to be sure that it's not a burden because you have so many responsibilities. You got to be sure that you know, this is the next step that God wants you to. It's not that mercy thing that's in you. You're trying to fix someone. Now, the Lord may call you along and say, you know, it, this is your ministry. You know, to help this person. That is fine. But just be sure it's not born out of that mercy-motivated spirit in you. Because you are the one who will end up burdened and messing up the, the hearing the next thing the Lord would have you to do. So, number two. And before I put up number two, let me explain number two. Number two is, <clears throat> it's not a thing, it's not a place, it's, it starts, and it can be those things, but it's more than that. You see, if, there, if there's something in your life that's causing you to have bondage, it just ties you up. If it's a person, it's easier if it's a person. And you, know, and you tell your friends, you go, well, you know, this is, this is going, I just feel enslaved. And they say, well, just end it. Just forget it. I can't. And even if you do, it goes on. It's because it's not money. It's not a place. It's not a person. It's an emotion. There's an emotion in you that this person stirs up. It's called a soul tie. A soul tie you think it's a person, but no, it's an emotion in you that that person causes. When you give your heart to someone before you should, before there's a real relationship, and they walk away. And, and pe people will just say, well, just say no to it. You can't say no to an emotion. It's still there. Even if I haven't seen that person in two years, they are creating an emotion in me. We think that just saying goodbye to them will do it. I haven't seen him in 10 years. But that emotion is still in here. I haven't said goodbye to the emotion. It's so easy for people to say, well, just, just get rid of it. I said, it's been gone. They don't understand it. Why? Because they don't have the emotion. They've not made a soul tie to that thing or that purpose or that person. There's um, a great story that goes with this. But what we need to know is that <laughs> here's how you know it's, it's, it's a tie. It's you never know how tied you are to something until you have to give it up. Ah, that doesn't bother me. You know, well, then give it up. You're immediately angry. Why are you so angry if it doesn't mean anything to you? Because there's an emotion that's tied to it. 
Well, they don't mean anything to me. I said, well, stop seeing them. Well, you can't tell me. There's an emotion. I think you drink too much. No, I don't. Stop drinking. I can stop anytime I want to. Good, then you're going to stop. No! I don't have to smoke. Well, then stop. You don't have to boss me. <laughs> Soul pride. There's an emotion involved. It's not just getting rid of that or them or it. It's in here. It's got my heart. It has my heart. And you wonder why you're enslaved. And you haven't seen it or done it, been there in 10 years. Because it's in your heart. The enemy knows that if he keeps your mind on yesterday's emotions, you're going to start thinking and believing that your yesterday emotion is tomorrow's future. How does that work? Let me, let me, a little paint. I'm going to paint a picture here. This girl doesn't want you anymore. This guy didn't want you anymore. You know, if I call them and, you know, I get a better job, they're going to want me. They're thinking of yesterday. You changed yesterday is going to be your future. It is over, friend. It is dead. They don't want you. They have walked away from you. You're fired. Well, you know, I don't think they appreciate how I feel about them. So I'm going to call and tell them. I'm going to, you know, they're not, they blocked me. So I'm going to text them. Or they blocked me. I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to call so-and-so and have them tell them how I really feel. You know, maybe I'll just sit out uh, outside of where they work, and when they go to lunch, I'll just, oh, I'll just bump into them. That, that's taking your past and keeping your heart looking and looking at that past, and the enemy ends up making you think that there's a future if you just change something. Yeah, you need to change something. That's them. Out. Out. So here's the story, and it is, it, is, it's, it is a powerful Bible story. Soul tie, it's a soul tie because to break it, you know, to try to break it makes you miserable, and then you can't. It's that, it's that you know, I can't live with them, can't live without them. That's hell. I can't fix it. I can't walk away from it. So in the Old, Old Testament, and I didn't put all the scriptures up for the stories I want to tell because we know the stories, but I'm going to go over. Abraham, what, the Lord gave Abraham a promise. that you're going to be the father of nations. Now, Abraham's getting pretty old, and he's married to a wife who's 10 years younger, but you know, she's only like at this time in, in her 70s. You know, he, Abraham's 80s. And Sarah knows the promise, and it ain't happening, okay? 
<laughs> Sarah at that age probably doesn't want it to happen. You're like, hey, you know, I want to be 80 years old and walk around carrying this. And so Sarah figures out she needs to help God. You laugh. How many have tried to help God? I have. Guess what? God don't need help. You need the help. But somehow we think, oh, well, we're going to help him out. So Sarah goes to Hagar, her, hand, her bond slave, and says, hey, you know, my husband, well, we've got a promise. I want you to go and uh, hunt, ape, come. I don't know how that works. It ain't working when Crystal's 80. I know that. Uh, <laughs> so she has Hagar, the bond woman, has the baby Ishmael. And immediately, Sarah said, this ain't working. Because my bond slave is sharing something with my husband that I don't share. And my bond slave has got my husband in bondage to her. So Sarah goes, I want her out. Now Abraham looks at Ishmael. What does Abraham see? His only child. He's got a soul tie. That's his. There's an emotion. You agree there's an emotion there, man? I see me in that boy. There's an emotion there. So all of a sudden, Sarah, she gets pregnant. And Isaac is born. The promised child. Here's how you know there's bond, that there's that, that, that emotion involved. Because Sarah goes, Abraham, she's got to go and the boy with her. And he's, at the Bible says he got mad. <laughs> That's what happens when there's a soul tie. Because she's got to go. So he's walking out of the tent and the Lord goes, Abraham, she's right. How many have heard of that one? <laughs> she's right. Well, she's the one who caused it. She's right. She's right. Now, the good thing is, everyone, so he packs up, get, gives her provisions, sends them both out, but the Lord told Hagar, don't worry. Because you were born of Abraham, the promise is your son's too. I'm going to make him a nation. You got, she got, she got God's promise. All right? Here's the deal. You can't take something in the flesh and bend it and shape it and think it's going to be part of your future. It's got to leave the camp. It's got to leave the camp. The Lord will take care of it. it the Lord will take care, but it's got to leave the camp. Your flesh cannot be shaped and molded to fit your blessed future. How tough is that? It's got to go. It's got too much of a cost. I had a best friend. He borrows my car. It comes back. It's got a big dent in the bumpers. He's got a dent. Said, Bob, what happened? He goes, there's a car back there in the shadows. I didn't see it. I go, and? He goes, and I hit it. And? got a dented a 
the and part is supposed to be, and you're going to fix it? Well, it's not my fault that that thing was parked in the dark. We go out in my Hobie cat. We flip it over. We're in Lake Kissimmee. He swims to shore. I go, you going to go get help? Because I didn't have that floating ball on top of the mask. And so instead of it just going like this and us flipping it back, it went. <laughs> he goes, no, I got an appointment. I got to go. And I actually had to have a come to Jesus moment with him and say, we're no longer friends. I can't afford you. Every time I'm with you, it costs me money. And you walk away. You got to leave the camp, brother. God bless you. Number three, the past. A predictable past is safer than God's promised future. You know, we can, in a second, you can remember the past. It is easy. Trying to see the future is quite different. I can see my past glory. You remember running that touchdown? Remember doing this? Remember that? I can remember that like that. But only I can see the past glory. And no one can see the future glory. The future purpose that God has for you. You have to walk in it. But it's like, no, nah, I'm just going to remember the past. Here's a great story that God gives us. Once again, the Israelites, they're in Egypt. He tells Moses, Moses, go down there and say, these people are in slavery. Because set my people free. So it takes Moses almost a year to get things going and the plagues and all this stuff. And he convinces the people, it's time to go. And then finally, when Pharaoh said, go. The, the, the Egyptians were giving them gold and silver. Just please get out of here and get rid of these plagues. Go, find your promised land. <laughs> so they take off. They're going, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah, we'll take that. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I'll take that chicken. And so they leave Egypt. And so Pharaoh, he goes, what have I done? I'm going to go down and just pay these people back for what they've done to us. And so Pharaoh shows up on the side of the mountain and the, the Israelites see this. Well, the Lord said he, he, he disturbed the animals in the sand so that they couldn't, they couldn't just rush down on them. They were having a hard time controlling all the animals and the chariots. And here's what the Israelites had. They had the promised land. They had gold in their... The, their wagons, they had food and provisions, manna every day. God gave them to eat. And they saw that, and they go, did you bring us out here? to? Did, aren't there graves back in Egypt? We could have stayed there. We could have had our fill of onion, onions and garlic. <laughs> like, sounds good to me, but not too much of crystal. You know? <laughs> Who does this? If if Crystal eats something that's got garlic in it, she goes, hey, honey, take a bite. Why does she do that? So that I won't smell her garlic. <laughs> How many's going to start doing that? <laughs> I have some garlic. Here you go. Now, I don't really don't care because I love it. So. But, 
two other times. Soon as it got tough, they just forgot the future. They just forget the promised land. It's out there. I can't imagine. I can't. I, I can't see it. I can't put it in my imagination. But what I can see is my past, and I know it well. And you forgot how crappy it was. You just remember the good times. You just remember the glory. But you forgot those in-betweens, the glory things and the fun things. The past is easier to see than a promised future. I got to kill that. Tell you, it's so difficult. My dad died because I would dream, I mean, for years. I would dream in my dream that he was still alive. We were friends. We were buds. And then you wake up in the morning and he's dead. It's just the final. It's like, yeah, there's a morning to it. The past is tangible. We just know it in our heart. I would think of the past, and I remember he was alive, and then I'd wake up and the reality is dead. Because I'm telling you this, the Lord is telling us that these things have got to die. If you remember them, if you dream about them, if you think about it, reality has to come. Because today, I believe the Lord is asking us to kill it. got to let it go. There's small group questions. But I'm going to ask you that those of you who are here, whose life is too full? Too, too full for anything that's going to be new. You can't do anything new. Because you've taking on these responsibilities because of the mercy in your heart. You need to go and say, I need to be released of this. Maybe it's just something in your heart that you've taken on. You just go, you know what? I, I, it was good for the t a period of time. It's over. It's over. Who has a soul tie that has to leave camp? you got to just send it on its way. Whose past is more real than the future? Jesus tells a story, if you've been with us for a while, we love the prodigal son, the prodigal father, the prodigal brother. But in that story, the youngest son goes, I want all my inheritance. And the father knew he was going to go party it away. And he loved his son so much, he gave it to him. But as his son goes away, he didn't follow him. 
When his son was off in a foreign land, he was eating with pigs because he spent everything. The father didn't go after him. And I'm, I'm thinking, how did a father not do that? How could a father not, you know, he would have enabled him, I know, but the, the soul tie to the father, and that's my youngest boy. How could he not follow him and try to persuade him to come home? The answer is, when the boy came to his senses, he said, I'd rather be a servant at my dad's house. They get fed better than this. He said, the father saw the son coming from a distance. And this is the key, how he did it. He said, my son who was dead is now alive. He had to consider that son dead. That's not the boy he raised, wanting all that. There's no talking him out of it. But the son that I raised no longer exists, this crazy wild branch. And he goes, my son's dead. That's what we need to do. If your shelf is too full of responsibilities, promises, which one do you need to die? If you have a soul tie, that emotion, you have to die to that emotion. You have to wake up in the morning after having a dream of this emotion and going, it's dead. It doesn't exist. Stop trying to make it your tomorrow. It was yesterday and it's dead. You see, I'm going to ask for you to see this as the graveyard. And some of you need to come forward as an act of your flesh. Some of you might need to, to, to have a few tears. You can stay in your seat. You can be on your way home and do this. But I want you to see the altar here as a grave. And you're going to bury. It is time to bury the thing. It is time to kick it out of the camp. You're not going to see it again. It is dead to you. It is dead. And you revisit in your brain, you'll wake up in the morning and realize, nope, it's dead. That opens your future. Now, now's a new beginning. Now's a new beginning. Especially those who come from broken homes and you've taken on some of the, the blame for your parents' divorce or death. Come and bury it. Put it in the grave. Wake up, you go. I put it in that. I put it in that graveyard. Stand with me. If this is you, and those who need to come down, come on down now. If you want to make a part of your flesh answering what the Holy Spirit has said in your heart. It's dead. From this moment on, Lord, we're burying it. Telling it to hit the road, not going to see you again. That emotion, it's dead, it's the past. 
There's a new beginning. As soon as we hear the door shut, we're open. We're open. We're going to shut that, that coffin. That's the door. And we're burying it. No matter if the thoughts come back to me, I'm going to wake up, come to my senses, know that it's death. Know that God has a beginning. That door shut. So, Father, you know who you've spoken to through your spirit. And their seats here at the graveside, Father, possibly driving home. Something tonight, this week. but I'm burying it. I'm not trying to figure out how I can fix it so we can get back together, so I can get that job, so we can be friends again. We're going to shut the door for a new beginning. This month, we're going to see new beginnings all over the church. We're going to see the stuff. We're going to see the stuff. So, Lord, you know what it is. You know what we're burying. You know what door we're shutting. We just speak the name of Jesus to it. It is going to be ashes. Instead of being live and breathing, and talking to us, it's becoming ashes. Father, we shut the door, Father, just like this. <clears throat> Let that sound penetrate your very spirit. Father, we shut the door. <clears throat> Go ahead and mourn. People cried the grave. We shut the door. Lord, we want to thank you for new beginnings. That our future is with you. And that you have one for us. Not just the life to come, but the life that's now. Let this be truly a month of new beginnings. Not just one, but many. Many. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.